This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Message for tonight, James chapter three. Uh, we're we're in a heavy passage of scripture uh, right now. James chapter three deals with the power of the tongue and the words that we say, and how our words can either be life giving or uh, life draining. Uh, our, our words that we use can build someone up, or words that we use can tear people down. And tonight we find ourselves speaking of the destructive power of the tongue, uh, how the the tongue can actually be used to tear down. We'll take a look at that uh, tonight. Uh, but also, uh, one of the other things I wanted to mention too, we have uh, notes for kids, sermon notes for kids, sheets that we have along with pens. And so if you, if you have some kiddos with you that want to take notes, we have a special sermon uh, notes for kids uh, handout, if you would. For all the grown-ups that want uh, handouts, use your phone. Uh, on your phone, you have the Hui Kala app. You can click on fill in notes. Uh, the fill in notes, even for the evening service, are available online now. Uh, I, somebody asked you, are we going to get back to printing out Sunday morning notes? I'm still on the fence about that, and so uh, it's really nice not to have to print, uh, print stuff like that out. Uh, we stopped our bulletins uh, during COVID uh, when, when it first began because uh, at the time we thought that, you know, every piece of paper that you touch had to be put in sanitization and quarantine for 14 days, um, and so we stopped it at the beginning, uh, but before that, some of you may or may not remember, we actually had a team of people on Saturdays that would just put together all of the bulletins, and it was a pretty intensive process, and so uh, we're going to try to scale that back, but will we, will we bring back printed notes or not? I'm not really sure. We'll see. Uh, but in the meantime, you can use your phone for that. And we get the, the sermon notes for kids, which I think is helpful to keep the kids engaged uh, in church on Sunday night. And so hopefully that's helpful to them. James chapter number three, we're continuing our series entitled Practical Christianity. And we're talking about the destructive potential of the tongue tonight. Uh, James chapter three, verse number one. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us and turn about their whole body. Behold, the ships also, which they be so great and are driven by fierce winds, yet are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Verse 5 through uh, 8 is really where we're going to spend our time tonight. Even so, the, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and birds and serpents of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. That's a harsh way to describe our words that we use, but that's exactly what James uh, tells us. We need to be really, really careful with that. We took a look at how uh, in verses uh, 2 through 4 last week, uh, or week before last, maybe it was last week, uh, how the we put bits in the mouth of a horse to turn it the direction that we want to go. Uh, ships have a small rudder that determines the direction of the ship. So the words that we use kind of set the course for our life. Uh, parents, uh, married couples, you need to understand that the words that you use in your home set the direction for your home. That's really important. The way that we speak to one another sets the direction and the tone for our home. 
If you live in a home where people are always raising their voice at one another, using harsh language or harsh words, that sets the direction for your home. That sets the tone for your home. Uh, I grew up in a house that was, uh, my mother yelled a lot. And so basically anything that happened with I didn't clean up my room or, or if something happened and, and somebody cut their leg off, it was the exact same reaction, uh, screaming loud volume. So Angela and I uh, get married uh, and we have uh, Thatcher and uh, man, Thatcher does something wrong. Man, what are you doing? She's like, what is wrong with you? Settle down. I was like, what? You, you, you scream when you get upset. And she was like, no, you don't. I didn't know that because that was the type of house I was raised in. I thought that that was normal. And so whatever happens in your home sets the course, sets the direction for your home, sets the direction for your life. If you're a person who's constantly using negative talk, you will become a negative person. And tonight we're taking a look at some of the ways that our tongue can get us, getting into trouble makes it sound really simple and trite or your, the, your word's going to get you into trouble. We're going to look at ways tonight that our tongue is sinful. Uh, that's really important to look at. It's estimated that the average American has about 30 different conversations on any given day. It's estimated that we spend one-fifth or 20% of our entire life talking. Isn't that crazy? It's funny sometimes if you watch on YouTube and, and, and things like that, things that people, uh, funny things that newscasters say or politicians or people that are being interviewed on TV, it's funny to hear the, the things that they say. But I'm telling you, when you talk for a, a living and there's hours and hours of recorded uh, recordings of your speech, you're going to find that you say some pretty foolish things, some pretty funny things from time to time. I found that out when I, when I started pastoring. It's like, man, everything that I say is now recorded and uh, held in the internet archive forever. And so there, if you were to go back and listen through the last uh, eight years of preaching here, there's probably going to be some crazy things that I've said from time to time. But that just happens. Uh, the uh, average person has said if the, you recorded or wrote down everything that the average person said in a year, 12 months, that it would fill 66 books on a bookshelf each book with 800 pages of fine print. The average American. And some of us know people who like, I think they wouldn't have 66, they'd probably have 600 books, right? But imagine that. The words that we say, just the sheer magnitude of the amount of things that we say in a given week. But the Bible compares our words to a fire, our tongue that we use as a fire. And it says it only takes a little bitty fire to get things really raging out of control. Uh, the great Chicago fire was started when a cow kicked over a lantern. By the time the, the Chicago fire was done, 17,450 homes had been destroyed. The entire downtown Chicago was totally gutted, and 250 people lost their life because a cow kicked over a lantern. You say, wow, that's crazy. Not half as crazy as the words that you and I use can ruin someone's life and can ruin our own lives. And so when the Bible speaks of the, the tongue is a fire and that it can rage out of control, we need to set up and take notice of the way that our words can be destructive. Proverbs 16, verse number 27 says it this way, an ungodly man diggeth up evil and his, in his lips there is a burning fire. A froward man soweth strife 
and a whisperer separateth chief friends. So again, the Bible speaks time and time again how our words can be used in a sinful way, in a destructive way. And I've kind of taken a list of what the Bible refers to as uh, sins of the tongue, and I've kind of classified them into three kind of overarching categories. Now, you could probably create more categories out of these. You could probably find other uh, sins of our words that we use to put in these, uh, uh, this list that we have tonight. But this is just kind of a cursory list uh, that we'll go through when we think about the destructive potential of the tongue. First of all, we use our words to hurt other people and to make them look bad. One of the ways we can use our words destructively is a way to cut other people down, to make people look poorly, to hurt people on purpose with our words, to say foolish things unintentionally sometimes that hurt people with our words. And the Bible speaks of several different types of sin. And I think there's probably no greater sin that's probably divided or ruined more churches when it comes to sins of the tongue as it is the sin of gossip. At Who We Call a Baptist Church, we have a zero tolerance policy on gossip. You just can't do it. Uh, If you're found engaged in gossip, you'll be asked to repent and make things right. And if you refuse, you'll be asked to leave. Simple as that. We're just not going to tolerate it. It's divisive. It's ugly. And the idea of gossip, uh, each one of these sins I'm going to give you a definition for. And so if you're uh, writing down some thoughts, you can put this in your notes. Gossip is idle talk which foolishly or maliciously spreads rumors or facts. It's interesting. Sometimes we think of gossip as, as maybe telling lies about somebody or something like that. We'll get into that. That's a different sin. But gossip is idle talk. And we're just sitting around maybe having lunch and say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so the other day? Man, don't say anything to anybody, but I heard that X, Y, Z happened. That's gossip. And the Bible's really clear in the book of Matthew. If you have a problem with somebody, verse, uh, Matthew chapter 18 says, you got a problem with somebody, you go to that person and deal with it. You don't talk about it with other people because it's divisive. And gossip is idle talk with another person with malicious intent. And unfortunately, many times in Christian circles, gossip gets shrouded in, quote, prayer requests. Oh, pray for you, if you would, for the XYZ family. They're struggling in their marriage right now. If you would pray for her, he's really mean and ugly to her. And pray for her. She's just been talking to a guy on the internet. So they could use a lot of prayer. That's not a prayer request, that's gossip. And that has no place in Jesus' church whatsoever. Hey, pray for so-and-so family. They're really going through a rough spot right now. They could use some prayer. Period, end of story. And what comes up next? Oh, really? Tell me more so I could pray more specifically. (laughs) If anyone ever says that, just say, it's okay, the Lord knows. Just pray for them. When anytime someone comes to me with gossip or tries to engage me, and just know this, when people gossip, they generally throw out a few crumbs as bait to see if you'll bite. That's generally how gossip starts. Well, what did you think about that song they sang in church the other day? That's, that's some bait right there. Uh, I didn't really care for it. I thought it was pretty lame. Yeah, I did too. I, I thought the exact same thing. It's crazy that you mentioned that. It's crazy that you mentioned that because I've been thinking about that all week. And, and they, they bait you by dropping little crumbs to see if you'll bite. 
But here's the thing. Be the type of Christian that doesn't take the bait. Well, it doesn't really matter to me what we sing as long as it honors the Lord. I think we should ask the question less and less about what you and I think about it, what God thinks about it. Period. Did you hear about so-and-so? No, what happened? Well, I heard, hey, uh-uh-uh, I don't want to hear that. And here's the thing that, that I always question. If someone comes to me with gossip, do they think I'm the type of person that would enjoy hearing gossip? Because I need to set that straight. Hey, I'm not sure what gives you the idea that I would want to hear garbage like that, but I just don't want to hear it. And so uh, gossip is also anytime we include someone in a conversation that's not part of the solution. Now, if you got a problem with another person in our church or somebody's done something that, that, that should be known from a spiritual perspective, by all means, come to the pastor. Hey, just want to let you know, I heard so-and-so was engaged in XYZ sin. I thought you as the pastor should know. I'm going to drop that, and I'm excusing myself from this situation. That's not gossip. That's helpful for me as a pastor as I shepherd the church. But just to say things like, oh, did you see so-and-so on Facebook, the things that they're posting? Gossip, no place in the church whatsoever. The Bible says uh, in Proverbs chapter 26, verse number 20, where there's no wood, the fire goeth out. So where there's a talebearer, the strife ceaseth. So one of the ways you can stop gossip in its tracks is don't throw another log on the fire. Don't be inquisitive to know. My wife uh, had an interaction with uh, another lady in, in the church probably 20 plus years ago. Uh, we were new to walking with Jesus. We didn't really know a whole lot about anything. And uh, they'd gone on uh, out to make a visit to somebody who had visited our church. And my wife came back and she said, I feel really terrible. I said, why? And she said, the whole time I was out with so-and-so, she just totally ran the church into the ground. Like talking about the pastor, talking about the pastor's wife, talking about the assistant pastor, talking about the assistant pastor's wife. And I said, well, what did you do? And she goes, I just sat there and listened. I didn't know what to say. And I go, you can't be the person that just hears gossip. And she said, well, I didn't know what to do. I said, here's what you do. You pull her to the side on Sunday at church and say, hey, can we go in here in this other room and talk for just a moment? I got something I need to share with you. And you tell her, hey, that was gossip and I don't want to be any part of it. And I'm sorry that I listened to that. I'm sorry that I gave you an audience for that. And she was like, well, that's really uncomfortable. It's not as uncomfortable as it would be if this person splits the church over stuff like this. And so she said, okay. And so she did. She pulled this lady to the side and, and began to talk to her. The lady just began to bawl. She's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. You're right. You know, there's some things in my life that aren't right. And I need to make it right with God and apologize profusely. <laughs> Fast forward like 15 years later, she sends my wife a friend request on Facebook and sends her a message and says, thank you for pulling me to the side that night and telling me what I didn't want to hear. She said, it changed my life. And I thought to myself, it just took one person saying, ah, I'm not hearing that and you need to stop it to change someone's life. Those were her words, not my wife's, to change her life. So gossip is one of those things that's so destructive. It doesn't have any place in the church whatsoever. Uh, the second type of sin that we see in the Bible of the sins of the tongue is backbiting. And this is malicious talk about someone who is absent. We generally in our vernacular have a different word for backbiting. We call it backstabbing. Kind of the same thing. And it's interesting, the etymology of the word backbiting is the idea of a dog who's trying to bite itself on the back. And I thought that was interesting because if you've ever seen a dog chase its own tail or try to bite itself, it's running around in circles constantly in futility. 
And when someone wants to bring slander on a person who's not there to defend themselves, I'm always one to say, hey, stop for just a second. If you feel that way, we should totally get this guy on the phone and, and put it on speakerphone and, and hash this out. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, then you just don't need to talk about it any longer. You wouldn't say that to their face, but you would say it behind their back. And let me just tell you, backbiters are cowards. Because here's the thing. If I've got a problem with Joe, and I don't have the guts to go talk to Joe about it, but I'm going to go talk to Steve about it, that just says that I'm a coward. And so people that engage in backbiting or backstabbing, whatever you want to call it, it's a cowardly act that we use with our own tongue to cut down and hurt other people. And so it's, it's fascinating to me. We live in a society today where people can say things on the internet with no ramifications whatsoever. And we've created a culture where anybody who signs up for a fake account on Instagram or a Gmail account or something like that can go and say whatever they want to say about anybody that they want to without repercussions. That's backbiting, and it's ugly, and you shouldn't do it. And so the Bible says in, uh, that uh, backbiters puts it in a category of other awful sin as well. Slander. This is flat-out lies. False and malicious talk about other people. This is saying things because I want to drag people down that just flat out isn't true. This is not making a judgment call about someone or being critical of someone. This is flat out telling lies about someone as a way to tear them down. Oh, you know, so-and-so, they're so full of themselves, you know. I saw them at Target the other day. They looked me in the eyes and stuck their nose up and turned and went the other way. I have a hard time believing stuff like that. And slander is one of those that goes even deeper. Gossip is talking sometimes about facts, or maybe it is things that aren't true. Backbiting just shows that you're a coward. You don't have the guts to say it to somebody's face. Slander is a totally different category. Because that makes you a liar. Dangerous, dangerous stuff. Next, hurtful words or name-calling. This is demeaning, disparaging, or condescending speech directed towards another person for the purpose of injury, demeaning, disparaging, condescending speech directed to a person for the purpose of injury. This is one of the things that I probably deal with the most when it comes to marriage counseling and people dealing with, quote, communication problems. Well, she said this and it really hurt me. We well, yeah, only said that because you said this. And anytime I hear someone say something hurtful, purposely trying to hurt another person, I always remember this phrase. Hurting people hurt people. You say, what does that mean? Somebody who's healthy in their spirit, walking with Jesus, full of joy, full of the fruit of the spirit, don't just pop off and say hurtful things to people. It's people who premeditate and think through of something that they could say that would actually be hurtful or harmful to the other party. And whether it's saying something mean, calling people names, saying ugly things about someone for the purpose of hurting them. And so again, the Bible commands against that. We should use our speech to build up, not to tear down. James will go on in James chapter 4, we're not there yet, verse number 11, speak not evil one of another, brethren, he that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother, 
speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law, but if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. I'm sorry, that's uh, the next one that I haven't got to yet. Uh, Proverbs 11, 9, a hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through the knowledge shall the just be delivered. A hypocrite with his mouth destroys a neighbor. That's a pretty strong uh, judgment that God would make on one who would tear another person down. You're living in hypocrisy. Uh, the Bible also tells us in Proverbs uh, chapter 12, verse number 18, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. You see, the words of a person who is spiritually sick are hurtful. The words of uh, one who is wise, who's spirit-filled, those are health. Those are life. And so again, if you are struggling with saying ugly things and having hurtful speech directed towards another person, instead of saying things like, well, they just need to hear that. Sometimes we got to hear things that we don't want to hear. Maybe you should stop for a second and say, what's wrong with me that I purposely want to hurt another person? There's been times where I've had to stop myself and say, why in the world would I want to purposely hurt my wife? What's wrong with me? Something's not right with me. No, not a matter of like, well, what I was going to say was true. But if it's hurtful, there's no need to say it in a hurtful way. And again, when I desire, man, I'm going to let my, my boss at work, I'm going to let him have it. Why do you desire to hurt another person? Because that's not what healthy Christians do. Next way that we can use our words to hurt other people and make them look bad is judging or criticizing. Judging or criticizing is, criticizing is a negative evaluation of others or implying harsh or disapproving estimate of people or their actions. A negative evaluation of someone or providing harsh disapproval of the way that they do things. Did you see what kind of car they drove off in? Huh, I bet they don't tithe. I could drive a car like that too if I didn't tithe. Mm, careful. Careful. Maybe God's blessed them financially because they do tithe. Have you ever thought about that? I don't know. Maybe that was a gift from somebody that they, uh, they know. Maybe they get a really good deal on it. Maybe they pay cash for it because they don't live off their credit cards. I don't know. But here's the fact of the matter. doesn't matter to me because it's not my car. And I don't need to bring judgment or criticize somebody for what kind of car they drive or how they dress. Or what they do or don't do. That's not my place. And so when we get the idea that it's our job to criticize other people for the things that they do or the things that they wear or the places that they go, or wow, must be nice to go on vacation like that. Hmm. You don't know how they went on vacation. Maybe they had a bunch of airline points saved up. Maybe somebody gifted them a trip like that. Angela and I went to, to London and Paris two years ago for our 20-year anniversary. 90% of our trip was gifted by somebody else. It'd be easy to say, well, our pastor went to Europe and spent two weeks. You don't know the story. And so again, it's not our place to look at other people and criticize. It's not our place to look at other people and judge their motives or their actions or the way that they act and things like that. It's just not it. 
well, do you see that guy standing in the back the whole time during the greeting time? People tried to talk to him, and I think he just thinks he's better than everybody else. Have you ever thought maybe he's an introvert and the greeting time is awkward for him? Have you ever thought about that? Probably not. You probably just have a negative assessment of everybody else based on your own lens that you look through. Some people are uncomfortable with social interaction. I'm one of them. And what's the deal with Trey? You have one minute to greet somebody. 60 seconds, bro. I'm just getting started. What are you talking about? One minute. Ended up being, I think, about 12 minutes. And so he, he relinquished that and, and gave, us, gave us more time. So gracious of you, Trey. Um, <laughs> but, but think about that for a minute. You don't know what other people are going through. You don't know the situation. You don't have all the facts. And look, even if you had all the facts, it's not your place to judge. Look, uh, one of the reasons why I got off of social media is because I became very critical in my spirit. I began to judge other people. Oh, look at that guy on their Instagram. It looks like their church is full of people, right? They, they got an auditorium full of people. They got like 20 people. And they got like all 20 in one shot. Show the whole auditorium with 60 empty chairs, you knucklehead. Yeah, you don't want to do that because you want a perfectly curated Instagram. What makes it look like you got a big church? Please. You laugh. That's my heart. That's why I was like, I can't, I can't do social media anymore. Just not, not for me. It's not good. Because I became very judgmental and very critical, careful with that. So we use our words to hurt other people and to make them look bad. But we also use our words to build up ourselves and to make us look good. The first one, one of the first ways we do that is by boasting. Boasting is showing excessive pride and self-satisfaction in one's achievements, possessions, and lifestyle. Showing excessive pride and self-satisfaction in one's achievement, possessions, and lifestyle. Boasting. Let me just tell you this. Nobody likes a bragger. Nobody. And listen, while you're naming off the 51 ways that you're smarter than everybody else, everybody else is sitting there waiting for you to shut your trap. Because nobody's impressed with you. Nobody's impressed with a boaster or a bragger or somebody wants to tell you why they're so much better than everybody else or things like that. And here's the thing that Bible says about pride. God resisteth the proud. You want to brag and boast about how good you are, how smart you are, how important you are. God's just like, "Ah, (laughs) I don't need any of that. And you know what's interesting is that some of the godliest Christians I've ever met in my entire life call who we call a Baptist church their church home. And sometimes people are like, hey, Pastor, I wanted you to come to my, my promotion ceremony. What rank are you getting promoted to? I don't really want to say. It's just kind of awkward, you know. When I'm at church, I just want to be Bob. I don't want to be known as my, my title or my pay grade. Well, tell me what you, I want to praise God with you. Tell me what you got. Oh, it's just really awkward for me to say. But then you got guys who roll in who want to let you know, yeah, I just made E4 this past week. I'm going to get a lot of more responsibility at work now. It's just like, <laughs> have a seat. <laughs> because here's the thing. Not matter that E4 isn't worthy. Of, look, anybody who puts on a uniform deserves respect. Give me that. I'm talking about people who brag or boast on how big they are, how good they are, how smart they are, how they're so much better than everyone else. And let me just tell you, the root of boasting is always pride. 
And let me tell you, I am, I have a strong proclivity to pride. It's like a magnet that draws me in. Man, that's why if you ever leave Huey Collie and say, Pastor, that was a great message. I say, praise God, the Bible's a good book. Because I can't indulge that conversation. Because it leads to me saying, yeah, did you hear what I said about that? that, that whole, they had three different categories of sins. That was good. I came up with that this past week. You know? Weren't you impressed by that? Because I want to toot my own horn. But the Bible says that boasting and bragging is not of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 26, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. I don't want to brag. I don't want to boast. I want to be humble because God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. The other way that we can use our words to build ourselves up while at the same time tearing someone else down is by lying Statements or answers which are untrue, lying, false witness, deceit, or false dealings. Lying. And let me just tell you, half-truths are 100% lies. Let me just be really, really clear with that. Well, my wife asked me if I put that on my Chase credit card, and I said no. I put it on my American Express. She didn't ask if it was on my American Express. She asked me specifically if I put it on the Chase credit card. And I said no, and that was 100% honest. No, it wasn't. It was a half-truth because you knew what she was getting at. And you told a 100% lie to try to cover that up. That's why, again, in the category of lying is false dealings. Be a person of honor. You shouldn't be the type of person... And we'll get to this a little bit later in the book of James. You shouldn't be the type of person that has to swear on your mother's grave every time you tell the truth. When somebody says to me, I swear on my mother's grave, that's the truth, I immediately think to myself, you're not a person of honor that you have to quantify that statement. You must be a liar or a deceiver to have to even make a statement like that because you're not trustworthy. And so lying is one of those things that once, and here's the thing too, when you become lying and become a liar, and again, let's just be clear. I abhor pastors who say things like, oh, we've all got our faults. We've all got our own shortcomings. Let's call it what it is. It's sin. And if you're lying, lying is a, help me with it. And what do you call someone who lies? A sinner and a liar. So if you are a liar, here's the thing. It's, uh, it's got to be unnerving to be a, a pathological liar because you don't know who, what you, who you told what lie to. Oh, yeah, I'm totally going to Portugal this summer on my vacation if COVID lets up. Oh, really? I thought you were going to the Maldives. Yeah, yeah, Maldives got canceled, and so we're kind of looking at Portugal right now. Oh, got it. Okay, you're a liar simple as that. Liars, what happens is they spin a web of untruths that they don't know what the truth is anymore. They don't know what lies they've told what people, and they got to keep track maybe of like a little crib sheet that they keep in their back pocket of what lies they've told to what people so they can cover their bases. Just tell the truth. You don't ever have to try to remember really hard the truth, because the truth is just the truth. <laughs> Angela and I were, we binge watched documentaries uh, the week after Christmas, and it was glorious. If we were watching one documentary and they interviewed this lady and they said, did you drive your car across the bridge on this night? And she goes, 
you know, I might have, I'm not really sure. I don't have a recollection of that, but I don't think so. What? You don't know if you drove across a bridge. It's a possibility that I could have, but I don't recall it. Immediately. You are a liar. Look, when you're telling the truth, you don't have to try to keep your story straight. You either did it or you didn't. You either drove across a bridge or you didn't drive across a bridge. But lying then feeds into other types of sins of the tongue that we have to use to either cover our tracks or other ways we have to build ourselves up. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 22, lying lips are the abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. You know what the word abomination means? It means it makes God sick to his stomach. So when you lie, when you have lying lips, you make God sick. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, wherefore put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And it's interesting, if you think about why we lie, two main reasons why we lie. The fear of God to cover our sin. Hey man, how's your walk with God been? Mm, It's been great. Never been better. Anything you're struggling with right now in your, your walk with God? No, nothing in go. And I generally ask guys when I'm checking up on them, hey, you been struggling with pornography or lust? No, good to go, 100%. Okay, good. Glad to hear it. Praise God. Keep up the good work. Only to find out later, all that was a lie. Why? Because they knew what they were doing was wrong and they wanted to cover it up. And secondly, because the fear of God and the fear of man. Oh, Pastor, I didn't want you to think poorly of me. <laughs> I think poorly of you now because you're not only a, a lust-filled sinner, but you're also a liar. I, I think more poorly of you not because you were struggling with sin, because everybody struggles with sin, but the fact that you tried to cover up your sin and lie to a brother in Christ, that hurts my heart. And so when we lie, it's, it's a matter of a lack of a fear, a appropriate fear of God, and it's a fear of man. I lied because I didn't want other people to think poorly of me. Now, let me just tell you this right now. You attend a church that is full of sinners who are in great need of God's grace, and there's nothing that you could confess to that we would be like, oh my soul, I didn't know you were struggling with that. Wow. Okay. Nothing. Just like, okay, let's talk about how we can fix it. I sat down with a couple one time. And she said, no, you know, pastor, I'm struggling with female, with my wife sat down with. And I said, pastor, I'm struggling with lustful thoughts. Okay, talk to me about that. Well, when I was a teenager, my, my parents prostituted me out for meth. Okay? Let's talk about how to move forward. And you're like, did your mouth drop to the floor? No, because here's the thing. The depths of the depravity of the sin of man it knows no bounds. So I'm not shocked by the fact that sinners sin. And if you're a child of God, you've been delivered from your sin, and if you're struggling against it, I want to help. And you got the opportunity to fix it once and for all. And just know this, one of the lies of the devil, because here's the thing, when you lie, think about this for a second, when you lie, you're never more like Satan. Because the Bible says he's a liar, and he has been from the beginning, and he's the father of all lies. And so, uh, just know this, when people say, oh, that's a lie from the pit of hell. First of all, the devil's not in hell, and so it didn't come from hell. 
Secondly, hell's a place of eternal wrath and torment where even the devil himself will be tormented and endure God's wrath. So there's no life from the pit of hell. But there is a lie straight from the devil himself, and that's every lie that we tell. And one of the lies that the devil likes to tell you is that you'll always be this way, you'll always struggle with this. I mean, and here's the worst part about it. You read books about getting victory over pornography and things like that. They'll say, oh, you'll struggle with this for the rest of your life. Garbage. Romans chapter 6 says that sin has no more dominion over me. I don't have to struggle with this for the rest of my life. I've been given victory over it through the cross of Jesus Christ. The other way that we try to build ourselves up is vulgar talk. We'll get to it a little bit later in James when the Bible talks about blessings and cursings. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Vulgar talk has no place in the mouth of a Christian. I say that again. Vulgar talk has no, talk, no place in the mouth of a Christian. Look, every time we heard our kids say their first curse words, what? Yeah. They didn't know any better because they heard it somewhere and tried to be cool and use it. Every time we heard our kids say their first curse words, our question was, where did you hear that? You know why? Because it didn't come out of my mouth. It didn't come out of your mother's house. It didn't come out of any television shows that we watch in our home. Where did you hear that? At school, friends at church. What? That happens. But here's the fact of the matter. It's not going to come out of my mouth. That's a fact. They won't hear it in our home. That's a fact. And here's the thing, too, when it comes to vulgar talk, is sometimes we say things, we try to use dialed back, Christianese vulgar talk. And we just don't do that. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. I'm not going to curse. Look, if I hit my thumb with a hammer, one of the top 50 words that comes out of my mouth is not going to be a curse word. Simple as that. Two years ago, I was changing the oil in our van, and the jack slipped out. My hand got slammed between the, the floor of our van and a jack right here, split my fingers open, had 25 stitches on, on two of my fingers. Out of the 10,000 words that I thought to say in that moment, one of them was not a curse word. It just didn't. It didn't come out. You know why? Because two decades ago, I put my sinful tongue to death. And ask God to give me a totally new vocabulary and to renew my heart and my mind so that those words didn't come out. And I don't listen to music that uses those words. I don't watch television shows that uses those words. I don't act favorably around people who use that type of language. Therefore, it's no longer in my heart. You know what I said? Oh, top of my lungs. Oh, my soul. <laughs> and I had a, a rubber glove on at the time. And I was just like, I do not want to take this glove off because I know what it is. Peel it off like hamburger meat. I mean, it was nasty. Sorry, that was TMI for a little bit. But look, vulgar talk just doesn't come out. And here's the thing where vulgar talk leads to. Sometimes moderately inappropriate talk will lead way to inappropriate talk. Just know this, it's on a spectrum. There's a, there's a gateway where this goes through. You know, we talked about before when I was growing up, you know, the, uh, Nancy Reagan did the D.A.R.E. campaign to say no to drugs. You remember that if you're old like me. And they talked about how marijuana was a gateway drug. If you use marijuana, you later use cocaine, you use heroin and everything else. And let me just tell you, 
there's some truth to that. People can mock that as much as they want to, but once, let me just say this. This is a biblical thought. Once you no longer have boundaries in your life and you throw the gate open to everything, everything's permissible, everything. And so oftentimes when people get involved in inappropriate talk, there's generally a, a measure of like, I'm going to, again, throw out some breadcrumbs and throw out some bait to see how much I can get away with. And ladies that work with a guy say, hey, you look sharp. It looks like you've been working out. Oh, yeah, I have. One of my New Year's resolutions is to get down to 15% body fat. Been working out some. Yeah, your pants you were wearing the other day, they looked really good on you. And guess what? This is a gateway to inappropriate talk. We're not going there. I'm going to cut it off. Hey, you look like you've been working out. Yeah, that's what my wife tells me too. Oh, your pants look kind of tight around your thighs. That's inappropriate. And if I hear that kind of talk again, I'm going to report you. Look, every single place that you go has a zero tolerance policy on sexual harassment, right? We just don't talk like that. We don't receive talk like that and we cut it off where it, it stands. Because every little back and forth banter that ever talked as far as inappropriate talk goes started small. Hey, look, if I went to high school with you and I haven't talked to you in 20 plus years, I don't have any desire to talk to you this week. And so you send me friend requests on Facebook? <laughs> no, delete. You know why? Because I don't want to open up the gate to somebody saying, oh, what have you been up to? Wow, you don't look like you've aged. Of course, nobody would ever say that to me because I look like I'm in my 60s, right? <laughs> but again, I don't want to open up a gate to inappropriate talk. And so we're, when we talk about vulgar talk, it's not only curse words, inappropriate types of humor, but it also goes into the area of inappropriate communications with a person of the opposite sex. Proverbs 15.4, a wholesome tongue is the tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Colossians 3.8, now put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. So we are, use our words to tear down other people. We use our words to build ourselves up, and we also use our words, this is the third category, to accuse God or to make him who we want him to be. One of the ways that we accuse God is through a complaining spirit. <laughs> Again, this is one of those messages like I was talking about this morning. Like, you talk about the grace of God, the goodness of God, how Calvary covers it all. Amen, that's good, preacher. Come on, preach it. You start talking about gossip, slander, lying, filthy talk, and, and complaining. There's not a lot of amens and hanky-waving that goes on in messages like that, right? You know why? Here's the thing. It's hard to hear this stuff. You know why? Because we're guilty of it. It's hard for me to preach a message like this as I think about all the words that I've used over the last 30 days. You say, Pastor, are there some of these things on this list you've done? Absolutely, I'm not perfect. Never have been, never will be. But I want to be better. And please understand this. I want to try to be really clear in the way that I say this. It's not hypocritical for me as a pastor to tell you what the Bible says and to say that I'm struggling with things because I'm a sinner. That's not hypocritical. 
it's hypocritical for me to get up and say that I'm somebody that I'm not. Some of you probably struggle with negative thoughts towards other people, but I personally don't, even though I know that I do. That's hypocritical. It's never hypocritical for any pastor to say, here's what the Bible says. We, we have a book um, that I gave out two years ago to our men at a men's conference, and it was a men's devotional about how to be a quality man. It talks about things like humility and words that we use and people we surround ourselves with, things like that. It was 100% solid because it was based in biblical concepts. I went through the same devotional with, with, with both my boys. It's a 40-day devotional. Good book. The pastor got fired from his church for anger, filthy talk, inappropriate uh, conversations, and financial misuse. And you go, whoa, terrible book, throw it out. No, because the book's solid. He just didn't take the Bible's advice. And so you look at that guy and say, he's a hypocrite. Probably so. But the truth that he shared was biblical truth and it stands. It's solid. But a complaining spirit. When you talk about complaining, it's the expression of a grievance or displeasure. Usually against the actions and attitudes of others, including God himself. I realize if you're taking notes, I forgot to give you the definition for vulgar talk. Here you go. Lacking sophistication or good taste or explicit talk and inappropriate language. That's vulgar talk. So complaining, we're talking about the expression of grievance or displeasure against anyone, including God himself. So complaining could be, oh, this weather sure is crummy. I left church this morning. I got soaked, soaked on the half block that I ran in my car. Huh. Unbelievable. <laughs> First of all, let's examine that statement. First of all, you ran through rain, not snow. Okay? Let's just get perspective. You ran through rain, not snow, in Hawaii, not Michigan. Let's just get perspective. Sorry, you Michiganders. I've been there one time, and there was three feet of snow, and I decided I'm never going back there ever again. And I've kept good to my promise, too. <laughs> Let's just take that. You ran to your car. You had the ability to move on your own two feet. That's more than many people had. Secondly, you ran to what? Your car? You actually have transportation? Did you know the majority of people, if they want to go somewhere, you know what they do? They walk or they ride an animal. <laughs> think about that for a second. And we're going to complain about those things. Here's what Job says. Wherefore or why does a living man complain? You have breath in your lungs. Can you tell me again what you're complaining about? Because all the dead people in the cemetery would probably trade places with you right now. And again, we can find, I'm king of this, we can find anything in the world to complain about. As I walked into church tonight, uh, I, I saw at least, at least, six different stains on the carpet. I'm just like, oh my soul. We got to shampoo the carpet this week. It is filthy. This pigsty of an auditorium, right? Look, I'm the king of that. But here's the thing. When I express displeasure, someone else is always at fault. I very rarely complain about myself. Have you ever thought about that before? I am so hard on people. I think I should be a little bit easier. No, we always complain about other people. What's his problem? Why is he such a jerk? man, what's he got in his craw? 
What's, mis- what's wrong with him? It's always somebody else we're complaining about. But here's one thing we take things to the next level when we complain to God. Again, guilty of this before. God, I'm like trying to serve you with my life, and this is what you give me. <laughs> I got an unsaved dude that I work with that everything goes right for him. But me, oh no, I'm trying to do the right thing, and this is how you repay me, God. Great. Well, here's the thing. You might not even be as direct as that to actually accuse God, but know this. Anytime you complain about your circumstances in life, you're complaining against God. You know why? Just like what we talked about this morning, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Is God sovereign? The answer to that is yes. Then he's placed you where you are in the circumstances that he's placed you because it's part of your growth process. It's part of your growth plan. And so when you gripe and complain about your circumstances, you're only complaining against God who placed you in those circumstances. Now look, you want to complain about your circumstances because you've sinned against God or because you've ran from God or you're currently living in unrepentant sin. By all means, complain about your circumstances because you are at fault for those. But when we look at our situation and we're not content with what we have or where we've been or how we've been treated or what people should do or shouldn't do for us, we're really just complaining against the sovereignty of God. Numbers chapter 11, verse number one, and the people complained and it displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it. And you know what he did? His anger was kindled against them and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the, the camp. <laughs> our kids, that's familiar to our boys because we made them memorize that verse. The people complained and it displeased the Lord and his anger was kindled against them. And he sent a fire and it consumed them into the uttermost parts of the camp. You want to keep complaining, son? Keep it up. God's going to burn you with fire. And look, if our house catches on fire in the middle of the night, we'll know it's you that was complaining. (laughs) Do you really want to be responsible for that? I don't think you do. Knock it off. (laughs) But no, serious. That's how seriously God takes complaining. Fine, you don't like what I've given you? Boom, you're done. The children of Israel were complaining because they were walking in the wilderness. All they had was manna to eat. I wish we could actually have some meat. And God says, fine, you want meat? I'll give you all the meat that you can handle. And they ate meat until it came out where? Does anybody remember? out their nostrils. He said, well, that's disgusting. Yeah, you want meat? God will give it to you. So much that it's going to come out your nose because you're choking on the meat that God's given you. You want to complain? Fine. But here's what the Bible also says about the children of Israel. When they complain, when they gripe to God, this is a heavy charge. And this is a very sobering thought when you think about complaining. God gave them their request and sent what to their souls? Anybody remember? Leanness. He gave them their request, but sent leanness to their souls. Fine, you can have it, but you won't be satisfied with it. And their soul continued to desire and continued to want. God gave them what they asked for. Fine, you can take it. You're not going to be happy with it because they complained against God. One of the most dangerous ways that you and I can use our words is blasphemy. Blasphemy is the profaning, desecration, or taking in vain the name of God or the reviling of any works or deeds. Again, profaning, desecration, taking the name of God in vain or reviling any of his works or deeds. When you not use God's holy, precious name in conjunction with curse words, that's blasphemy. When you take God's name in vain and use phrases like, oh my, and put God's name in there, that's blasphemy. 
I'm going to take it one step further. And this is when you attribute things to God that God didn't really do, that's blasphemy. When you hear these fake preachers on the internet and on YouTube that have these massive followings say, like, I went to a jungle in Namibia and the Holy Spirit used me to raise a guy from the dead. Blasphemy. Show me the video. It's funny, it always happens in a jungle somewhere with no internet connection, right? It never happens at the Blaisdell, you know, where we take a, a dead guy and wheel him on stage and he gets raised from the dead. It's blasphemy when we attribute things to the work of God that didn't really happen or that God isn't doing. There's a popular revival when uh, I was stationed in Pensacola and where, where I met my wife called the Brownsville Revival. You should do a Google search on it. It was basically a Pentecostal revival that went on for years. People would stand outside lines every single night to get into this place. It was a, a false gospel. It was based on signs, miracles, wonders, and supernatural sign gifts and all the other garbage that goes along with that. <clears throat> Throughout this process, they would have speakers come and speak. One of the speakers claimed that he had been in a place where he had caused blind people to see, deaf people to hear, and had personally raised the dead. And in one of the sickest things that I've ever heard in my entire life, there's a family from somewhere up north, Michigan or somewhere like that, who had a baby that died. And they put the baby in an igloo cooler and drove it down to Pensacola, Florida. And they stood in line to get into this church service to see if somebody could raise this baby from the dead. And you look at that and you say, that is just blasphemy of blasphemies. Because you're taking something and attributing some fake lie to God and his spirit that God did not do. And you're saying, do you think that God could raise people from the dead? Can God? Yes. Will God? Definitely. But does God use regular folks like you and I to on command raise people from the dead? God doesn't work that way any longer. And so when someone attributes the works like that to God, it's blasphemy. When people speak against the name of God, saying things like, Jesus Christ wasn't really born of a virgin. Jesus Christ was born just the same way that you and I were. That's blasphemy. When people say that Jesus Christ wasn't really raised from the dead, that's blasphemy. When you say that Jesus Christ didn't really die, he only passed out on the cross, and they put him in a tomb, and the tomb was really cool so that he could be revived, and he walked out of the tomb on his own power because he never really was dead, that's blasphemy. It's profaning the name of God and calling God a liar. And anytime somebody does that, it's blasphemy, and that's a heavy charge that you'll answer to God for one day in eternity. Big deal. And so we've taken a look at ways that we can use our tongue to sin against other people by tearing them down. We've used, we can sin against other people by raising ourselves up, and then other ways we can sin against God by complaining and blaspheming. Blaspheming. Three final thoughts, and we're done. First of all, these destructive uses of our speech are rarely isolated but spread quickly in our hearts and minds. It's not like this was a one-off that I happened to complain this afternoon. It, it, again, if the Bible says that the tongue is a fire, it spreads really quickly to other areas of my life. And friend, just know this. You need to mark this down. If someone is a backstabber or a gossip, it's only a matter of time before they backstab you and gossip about you. 
That's a fact. That person, you need to understand, cannot be trusted. So that's why I say that this spreads. Oh, well, they were just gossiping about this one thing. <laughs> to you, who are they gossiping to? To other people about what? And so again, we need to be really careful and understand, even in our own hearts, a complaining spirit isn't isolated. Oh, my boss is such a jerk. I hate my job. Hmm. Would that cause you to maybe one day slander your boss? <laughs> Say things about him that weren't true because you want to make him look even worse than he really is? Would this cause you to gossip about your boss? You see how all these are connected? Would this cause you to boast and make lies about yourself that really aren't true and brag on yourself and what a terrible human being your boss is to elevate you and to tear him down so that the disparity is a lot easier to notice? Because all these things are connected because the destructive uses of our speech are used in damaging combination to bring quick destruction that's not easily contained. Look, lying is connected with slandering. Slandering is connected with gossip. Gossip is connected with backbiting, which is connected to complaining, which is connected to boasting. All of these things are connected. That's why, again, it's a damaging combination. When I, uh, when I joined the Navy, um, I had a friend who had the original PlayStation, PlayStation 1. And he got a copy of Tekken. And we sat every weekend and played Tekken for literally 8 to 10 hours a day without fail every single weekend. Dude got married, took his PlayStation with him to his house, called me over on the weekend. We played video games at his house while his wife watched. It was awesome. And here's the thing. To this day, I'll challenge anybody in this church to a game of Tekken. I just need to be Eddie or Jen. Those are my guys right there, right? I get those. I can take anybody. I'm just telling you. And, and I played with my boys. and they, I, I, No lie. They were little at the time, but I beat them so badly that they cried. <laughs> and my kids will play any game in the world with me except for Tekken. Any. Like, I, I play NBA 2K with Van, and he just absolutely drills me every single game, like blows me out by like 50 points. But all I got to say is, hey, let's play Tekken and see who wins. And he shuts his mouth because he knows. <laughs> so what does that have to do with anything? Here's the idea. In Tekken, my boys want to punch, punch, kick, punch, punch, kick. But you know where the power is found in Tekken? The combos, right? The back, back, X triangle, circle, double square, like bam, that's where the power is found, right? Look, I'll lay you out with one kick. That's all it takes. Why? Because I know the combos. Here's the thing. You want to destroy somebody's life? You want to destroy your own life? The power's in the combos. Because, again, these are not isolated. Look, if somebody's a gossip, I only question what other areas of their life they're struggling in. And that's not being judgmental or critical. That's evaluating a situation before I give somebody too much information. And so, again, we, we need to understand that our sins of our speech, they're connected in different ways. We've got to be really, really careful. And when we identify these sins in our own life, we need to step back and say, why am I doing that? Why did I go to work today and brag about all the stuff that I got for Christmas or brag about how much money that I spent on this or brag about this or that? Look, here's the, the crazy thing. I, I am so prone to pride that I usually have to tell my wife and kids, 
hey, don't tell anybody that I got this because I don't want it to be a big deal. Hey, don't say anything to anybody about what I got you for Christmas because I don't want people to blow it out of proportion and make it a big deal. Because I don't want to brag and I don't want to boast. Not because I've done anything sinful or because I've done anything wrong, because I just want to protect my own spirit against having a spirit of bragging. Because why do I do that? Frankly, you know why I brag and boast and am prone to pride? <sighs> Confession's good for the soul. Because I'm really insecure. There you go, I said it. Why do you feel the need to brag and boast? Because likely you're insecure. And you know that on the inside you're about this big and you want to make yourself big and bad. It's the case for me at least. Why do you feel the need to constantly lie? Why can't you just tell the truth? What are you so afraid of that people would really find out the truth that you need need to lie and build lies upon lies? Why do you feel it good to tear down other people with your words? Why do you say hurtful things to your husband? Why do you say hurtful things to your kids? And for those of us that have kids, you need to understand, some of the things you say to your kids, they'll never forget for the rest of their life, so be really careful with your words. When you say things like, well, you're not as smart as your brother, they'll remember that for the rest of their lives. And here's the thing that I found too, and again, I'm not a psychologist or a counselor or a therapist or anything like that. I'm just a really keen observer. I watch a lot. One of the things that I've noticed is when you tell your kids something, they'll generally adopt that as their personality. Well, my mom says I'm the troublemaker of the family. My mom says I'm always the one that's always into things, and that becomes their identity. Maybe, you know, you're not like your brother or your sister and you got labeled as the black sheep of the family. That automatically becomes your identity. Now you want to do everything you can to fit the, the role that you've been given. So be really, really careful of those words that you say. And why would you want to say things that hurt your kids? Why would you want to say things that hurt your coworkers? What's broken inside of you that you feel the need to let out your frustrations on the lady working the drive through at Panda Express? What's wrong with you? Oh, it's just slow, and they're always out of the string bean chicken by the time I make it at 15 minutes before they close. Why are you so entitled? Again, here's the thing. I got to wrap this up. Here's the thing. Nobody said amen. I'm really proud of you guys. I'll take a little bit longer. I'm just kidding. I'm wrapping this up. I promise you. This is a final thought. When we look at the Bible and you look at this list, you probably have thought in your mind of someone else that you know who fits into these different categories of sins of the tongue. The Bible was not written for you to judge other people's shortcomings. The Bible was meant to judge your own shortcomings. Tonight's message was not about, oh, let me think about all the sins that my boss does. Let me think about all the sins that my wife does. I think about all the sins that my parents did to me. No, no, no. This is for you to examine your own heart. God, what in this list here are, am I guilty of? If my tongue is like a fire that burns out of control and destroys everything that it touches, man, what am I doing that's causing this? I just seen snippets on the, the news and a couple of pictures as I scrolled through my news feed. But the, the fire that took place this past week in, in Boulder, Colorado, like, you look at that, it burned, I think, thousands of homes. There's, it's like nothing, just totally destroyed. What happened? Fire. Fire doesn't care. Fire, here's the thing. Fire itself doesn't keep track of value. Fire just burns everything. 
It doesn't matter that this, you know, t-shirt was given to your grandmother, to you by your grandmother right before you died. Boom, burned. Doesn't matter if this is the only copy of your wedding photos. Boom, burned. And if the tongue is like a fire, doesn't care that this is a person who's committed to spending the rest of their life with you. Boom, burned. Doesn't matter if this is a life that God's entrusted you to raise up for his glory. Boom, burned. Doesn't matter if this is the person who signs your paycheck and has given you the ability to put food on your table. Boom, burned. Doesn't matter if this is a person who's going through difficult circumstances and really could just use a friend right now. Boom, burned. That's the power that our words have. And so we got to really put a lot of thought into the words that we speak. And for me, generally what I try to do instead of thinking what I'm going to say, I have to generally dial myself back and restrain myself just to not say anything and be really thoughtful in the words that I choose. No lie, you, my wife will tell you. In times where we have disagreements in our marriage, so you guys have disagreements? Yeah. Christians call them disagreements, not fights. Little side tip for you. We have disagreements in our marriage. Sometimes I'll tell her, hang on for just a second. I want to respond to what you said, but I don't have the words right now. Could you give me just a second? Because if I say what's off the top of my head, it's not going to be good, and it's going to burn. And I don't want to burn my wife. Sometimes I need, hey, I need you to give me just a second. I want to process through what you just said before I speak. Hey, I don't really have the words to communicate what I'm getting ready to say. Sometimes I'll even preface like, what I say is going to sound harsh and it might even be hurtful, but that's not my intention. I just don't know of a better way to frame what I'm getting ready to say. So, so I want to apologize in advance for the way that I say it because I'm not saying it with a mean spirit or because I want to hurt you. But here is how I feel X. And you know what she says? I appreciate you saying that. It is hurtful, but I know your intention wasn't to hurt me. How do we move forward through that? Again, it all comes down to understanding. I know that my tongue is so destructive and I want to use it to build up, not tear down. Most important thing in the world here tonight is that you know for sure that when you die, you're on your way to heaven. God gave us his word. God spoke through his son, Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us. And you and I have sinned against God and the only way that we can make things right with God is to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And for you, if there's never been a time in your life where you've received Jesus, please know this. God loves you. Jesus died for your sins to pay for your sins and give you the hope of heaven. All you have to do is believe in Jesus as your Savior, realize he's the only way to heaven, and ask for forgiveness for your sins, and you can be saved tonight. If you've never been saved, please understand nothing changes without knowing Jesus first. But for those of us that are Christians, man, let's use our words this week to build up, not tear down. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.